Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money, and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, I'm the founder, and my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. In late 2020, John Katz went through a horrendous breakup. The breakup compounded with the weight of an unstable childhood, decades of poor decision-making, poor relationship choices and poor habits left him obese, anxious, depressed and suicidal at the age of 34. That was two years ago. Since then, he has turned his life around in every conceivable way and now coaches others on how to step back from the path of negativity, poor health hopelessness, worthlessness, fear, and suicide. Since getting healthy, he has established a citywide food rescue program in New York City that currently feeds thousands of families a week with edible but unsaleable food donations that would otherwise be thrown out. This episode discusses suicide and suicidal ideation, which some people might find disturbing. If you or someone you know is impacted, help is available. Speak to someone today. Here in Australia, Lifeline is available 24 hours a day on 13 11 14. Welcome, John, to the Ethical Evolution. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us. Now, uh, for those who don't know who you are, John, can you go ahead and tell us who you are and what you do? Absolutely. I am a personal development coach based in New York City. I'm an online coach, so I work with folks uh, across the country and actually around the world. I've had some international clients. I come initially from a place of deep internal darkness, and in healing those wounds within, I've been able to externalize the power of healing to others, and I'm here to, to spread the message of positivity with you and with everyone joining us today because everything that is been given us in a negative sense has actually provided us to us in a positive sense, and I hope we can get into further depth in that in a sec. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, you've had a, a pretty remarkable life thus far. Do you want to tell us a bit about some of your story and the things that have um, occurred in your life and led you to where you are? Absolutely. I mean, the defining feature of my life, all, all of our lives is our pain, right? Yeah. It's the thing that we hold closest to us before we're able to heal it. And it's that thing that unites us as a species. I mean, I, I say this all the time that pain is not a differentiator. It's actually a commonality between us. And it's those of us that are willing to be open about our pain and our trauma and healing that are able to connect with others. So my pain came from unresolved pain from my folks. Uh, both of my folks experienced a fair bit of trauma in their own young lives. Unlike most people of their age, they're in their 70s now. They didn't really have an outlet to process it. The information that we have in today's contemporary society wasn't really around. So they import a lot of that to the relationship and then ultimately in raising me. And uh, I didn't do myself any favors. You know, I'm not a victim of anything or anyone or any act except my own mm -hmm. thoughts and actions and in response to my stimuli. And the key thing uh, to know is that I just did what was expected of me. It's expected of us, at least in the dominant global culture, to use drugs, to drink alcohol, to have as much promiscuous hookups as as many promiscuous hookups as possible, to eat as much as possible, and to do essentially what makes us feel good in the moment. And that's a very painful, those are very painful acts. I mean, those acts included womanizing and engaging in a lot of real degenerate activity around drug use and partying and hooking up, a lot of overeating, a lot of pleasure seeking, a lot of denial of self a lot of denial of what I'd been through, a lot of denial of others and what they needed from me in my relationships. It was just overall an extremely negative way of being and led me to a very dark place. You know, you can't engage in negative acts and not be driven to a negative place. And I went through a breakup a few years ago and following the breakup, I was just at my wits end and I went headfirst into the pit of negativity. All the negative acts I engaged in as an adolescent, Post-adolescent, college, and after, in relationships and out, just went to the, the nth degree, and it drove me to a very, very dark place. I mean, I had done so much negativity that I was actually considering killing myself, and that was that was my rock bottom, to use uh, addict's parlance. And, and for me, it was just me at the deepest, darkest point of my life, and that's when I chose to turn it around. Finally, I, I made the choice at that point that my life was worth living and that I needed to change my internal circumstances in order to change my internal circumstances, I had to change what I did every day. And so I cut out all the negativity, I changed all of my habits, and I reformed myself, you know, from my core, from the core of my being to, you know, the surface level of my skin in, in every way, mind, body and spirit. Now, there's a lot to unpack there, John. <laughs> um, you know, one of the, the themes that comes through for me in the conversations I have on this show is that, you know, um, the whole premise of of why I'm doing this is is for us to make a change, right? And for us to understand that that begins with us, and that that starts with our habits, you know. So, um, right at the core of who you are, you changed your habits and you changed your life effectively. One hundred percent. I say this all the time: choose your habits, choose your life. Change your habits, change your life. My own coach says very frequently, show me a man's habits and I will predict you his future. It's very clear when I see people, I mean, in this digital space or just in the physical firmament, it's very clear what their habits are. Thus, you can tell very, very quickly what their future is going to be. And you can tell what their past has been, what they haven't resolved within themselves. 
and yeah, people want to make it often want to make it very complicated, but just comes down to what we do every day. And if we do positive things every day, if our habits are good, then our future will be good. If we do negative things every day, if our habits are poor, then our future will be poor. It's as simple as that. Mm. And, you know, there's so many of us that go through life on autopilot, um, completely unaware of the habits that we have. And we think, oh, I can't help it. It's just who I am. Uh, you know, you have a choice. You absolutely have a choice, um, a choice in what you do, how you live your life, what you put in your mouth, how you spend your money, all of those kind of things are all habit-based and value-based decisions. I love that. It's just who I am. Mm. If that isn't the most victim statement I've ever heard, it takes any power we have over our own lives and puts it elsewhere even in focusing the lens on ourselves and saying it's just who I am, that is such a false notion. Who you are is comprised of what was done for you and what you have done for yourself. That's who you are. You are not, I mean, that just speaks to the robotic nature of our existence. Mm. And I'm, I'm down to get into that. You know, I live in New York City. This is one mm. of the most, people want to say a lot of things about New York City. And as a native New Yorker, someone who's born and raised in New York City and now resides in New York City and will live here till the end of his days. I just bought a place. I bought this place. Mm -hmm. uh, I can tell you that New York is a city. You know, there's a lot of robotic activity that goes on just on the street level. And that's part of Western culture. That's part of American culture. It's part of the dominant global culture that we just go through life through these rote motions. It robs it robs us of any agency. That's just who I am is probably something I would have said a few years ago. Well, I'm very overweight. I think I was clinically obese at the time. Well, I'm clinically obese. That's just who I am. Well, I have massive issues around anxiety and depression. That's just who I am. I hate that phrase, and I love that you brought it up. Mm, yeah, and, you know, I hear it uh, very often, and, I, you know, I went to um, L.A. last year, and I just saw people just going through the motions of life. They're like, they're, they're living a life, but they're not actually in it, and, I think, you know, that's what you're talking about as well as this robotic life that we go through. It's just days and days just disappear and we don't know what happened to them, you know? And that is sad. It's completely soulless. Yeah. Excuse me. But it is it is completely soulless and I'm not afraid to speak on it. We have been imbued by the creator with a soul. There's that that's it's simply if you ever feel a connection with another person, that connection is not based, it is not a simple animal connection. That is a connection based on on what we have inside. And we deny that when we do things to ourselves and with ourselves that run counter to any sort of positivity. The robotic idea that you are to sit in this area and go through the motions and take their drugs and eat their food and drink their liquor and go to their clubs and engage in their lifestyle is totally soulless and it's robotic. We might as well be automatons. We might as well be beings that say, that's just the way I am. <laughs> yeah. Now, John, you've had so many things that have happened in your life that most people would be like, you know what, this, I'm done. I am just done. Um, and, you know, you, you are saying that, you know, you reached a point where you weren't sure you wanted to live anymore. I mean, how how did you get out of that and what made you want to go that far? I'll answer the second question first. I mean, by the end of it, I was sleeping with people whose names I barely knew. I was using drugs that I should not have been using. I was drinking multiple times a week and I was overeating every meal. I would overeat every meal. I was seeking pleasure because I didn't want to face my pain. And this short-term pleasure provides you with 10 minutes to 60 minutes of masking of, of escape and then 10 hours to 60 hours of 
the come down. You know, every mm. high has an equal low. I would say every high has a double low, and I've gotten higher than the Goodyear blimp. I mean, I've been <laughs> as so high. I, I mean, I would take I I would take acid and and be up for one or two days. I mean, I took acid for two weeks in the desert, not back to back, but there's this degenerate festival called Burning Man. Mm. I, I assume you've heard of it, yep. and it's just about escaping. <clears throat> Excuse me, and. Yeah, I mean, to answer your question, just loop back for a sec. I engaged in so many negative acts that the karmic debt was choking me. I mean, it was literally killing me, the amount of, of karmic debt I had accrued in my life and then multiplied through this late stage period of hedonism and and attempted escapism that the pain of dealing with what I was doing, the pain of regret was enough to drive me to the edge. You know, that that's how far I had driven myself, that I had driven myself, that I put myself in that position. Nobody put me there but me. Nobody made me eat that. Nobody made me drink that. Nobody made me smoke that. Nobody made me use those dating apps or sleep with those people. Nobody made me curse the people that I knew because I was in this situation or I was blaming my ex. I was blaming my family. It was just a victim mentality, blame game bullshit. And when I finally escaped, I found a coach who had come from a similar place of darkness and not only had healed himself, but actually had a track record of healing others, of getting other people in shape, of getting other people's minds and bodies right. And he had the blueprint for me. I simply followed the, I, I joined his team. I hired him. I followed the blueprint and the weight started coming off. Then the spiritual weight started coming off. Then the psychological weight started coming off. Then I wrote my ex a five page missive and called her up and we sat down in the park and I read it to her, you know, crying, sobbing, you know, trying to absolve myself, successfully absolving myself of the debt I had accrued during and following our, our relationship. You know, I began to forgive myself. You know, one, the, the main burden that people hold on to is they're unable to forgive other people. Mm. But you can't forgive other people if you are engaging in unforgivable acts. You have to stop engaging those acts. The karmic debt will naturally decrease over time. And after you've cleared your own debts to yourself, you can only then forgive other people. I couldn't forgive other people for what I believe they had done to me, but they had actually done it for me until I forgave myself. And I couldn't forgive myself until I stopped engaging in nihilistic, self-destructive things. Coach gave me a program of physical development, daily physical exercise. I had never worked out a day in my life. He gave me a program of intentional nutrition, which is by far the most important uh, part of my coaching program. It's why it's food waste coaching. And he gave me mindset tactics. He gave me ways of thinking about myself and my life that reformulated everything from a negative to a test placed in front of me to make me stronger. This That's mindset training, is looking at something that the average person would say as bad and knowing that it is good. Mm. And, you know, getting to the mindset of it, you know, I, I talk to so many coaches and, and and in particular fitness coaches as well. And we all know that it's the transformation inside that has to happen before the external transformation can happen. So, you know, understanding uh, you found your pain, like tell us what it was like when you actually got in touch with the pain that you were masking all that time. And once you managed to heal it and let it go. There was a period of minimum two months, minimum, but it may have been slightly longer where I was in tears every morning during my workout. So I wake up very early for a lot of reasons, but the service level one, the, the one that one starts with is to have enough time to get everything done. Mm -hmm. Very quickly, you realize that waking up early is showing gratitude to the universe. It's mm -hmm. why I won't sleep in. It's why I continue to get up every morning at 4am, you know, even though I am in shape and I 
do have enough time and I have a place to work out and, you know, I have this place you see to work out in, or I could go to the gym or whatever. Um, but I, I was getting up early for the first time in my life without being forced to, and in being enforcing oneself to live an honest life, you have to be honest about your past. So the faces of, I'll be honest, the faces of people I had mistreated, ex-girlfriends of people I had disrespected in my romantic and personal life would begin to flash through my head. You know, it was my own past. My karmic debt was calling out to me. And I would begin to cry. I would be in my intense workouts in moderate to intense physical pain from working out. And then I would be in this deep emotional and spiritual pain. And the two fused. Mm. So the internal change of purging myself of this karmic debt fused with the external change of ridding myself of the excess body fat and body image and body negativity that I had carried. And the two became one. The two are one. If you look at a very unfit person, they are carrying an equal amount of emotional and spiritual weight. The two are the same. If you look at an extremely fit person, they likely had that weight. Like extreme people in any way, you don't just become extreme. You are mm -hmm. forced to that extremity from this extremity. If you, A professional athlete is so obsessive and neurotic about their training. They have to be about their nutrition. It's the same thing. If you want extreme excess success, you likely have had extreme failure in the past or have done an extreme amount of positive things to ensure that you aren't failing. And I was doing an extreme amount of positive things and it purged. It's like purging. It's like cleansing a wound. It's like putting antibiotic on a wound. There's that burning thing. The wound is festering and you finally cleanse it, but there's some pain there, but it was the most beautiful pain I ever experienced. I mean, I felt the weight of my infidelity lifting. I felt the weight of my drug use lifting. I felt the call to use substances lifting. And I haven't touched anything since the first day I started programming. I have not had a sip of alcohol. I have not touched any drugs, no weed, none of that, no cigarettes, nothing. I have refused to disrespect anyone in, in a personal or romantic sense. And I just, once you experience the pain of awareness, which is the pain that I'm in, when I walk down the street and I see someone quite overweight and I know how difficult it is for them to be at the beach or be around their family, or I walk down the street and I see someone muttering to themselves and I know that they're replaying some thought pattern in their mind. Once you are aware of other people's pain, that's the pain of awareness. The pain of regret would be unbearable. It would be unbearable. I would, my, if I went back to, if I used drugs once, that would, you would not hear from me again. Mm. I would be in such a regretful state. I would be so deep in the pit from one break of character to that degree. I mean, it's not even something I could even conceive of, of using drugs again or drinking alcohol again. Uh, never. I'm not, it doesn't even call to me. But that's the pain that we trade. The pain we get from our workout and coming to terms with our past and present supplants the pain of regret, of waking up hungover, of narcotized and all that nonsense. And, you know, you were talking about forgiveness before. Um, how did you find a way to forgive yourself and accept yourself for who you are now. Like I said, I had to stop doing unforgivable acts. The standard human is, is going to be able to accept themselves. So let's just go back in time a bit. When we were in a pre-modern time, there was no self-rejection unless one committed what was very clearly a sin. You, that was not your wife. You were with your neighbor's wife. You are going to be killed for this. Like This is a sin before God in the community. There's a massive price to pay. But now we can sneak around and do all types of weird stuff. We can eat whatever we want. We can do all of these things. and There's no real punishment. So it's a lot easier to accrue these negative things, to do these harmful acts. 
And it's also people are easy or they believe it's easy to accept themselves after mm. doing that. There's a, a lot of acceptance around polyamory and a lot of other stuff that is inherently negative and obviously morally negative, but people believe they can accept themselves, but then they have this mental illness because they're trying to accept, accept something that we have evolved to a genetic level, not a religious level, but on a genetic level to not do these things. If you were extremely out of shape back in the day, you would be left behind. You would die. You would not be able to produce for the group. And so when I was extremely out of shape, I wouldn't be able to tie my shoes. So let's say I had some role to play. There was some hunt to be done or some blanket to be woven or some physical exercise in order to keep the group alive. Well, I wouldn't have been able to, to follow through and I would have been rejected from the group. No wonder I was rejecting myself. So I had to stop doing rejection-based activities, the rejection of self through drug use, through overeating, the rejection of self through self-hatred. We're rejecting our own self in doing that. And then we wonder, or I used to wonder, hey, why do I feel rejected by the group? Why do I feel rejected by society? Why do I feel rejected by my life? Well, you're doing all this negative stuff. You should be rejected. So you cut the negative stuff and your life will naturally align itself towards acceptance. Then you begin to accept yourself. You look at yourself in the mirror. Wow, I accept the individual staring back at me. It doesn't negate our past. We come to terms with it. Our past is there. We are no longer doing it. The most evolved man or woman or person, however you identify, the most evolved person is a person able to say, I was this. It was bad. Mm. I am this now. It is no longer bad. That's maturity. The weak individual will never say that they did anything wrong. It's always someone else's fault. They. It's just the way they are. They had to do that. And they just don't accept themselves. The best person, the people that I love, they say, oh, yeah, I used to do all that. Oh, man, that person was a loser. That guy was a freaking weirdo. He collapsed at the club on mushrooms, which happened to me more than once. Like, he used to be creeping on our girlfriends. I used to do that on the regular. That dude sucks. I'm not that dude anymore. That's the mature individual. That's the individual that accepts themselves. The liar says, oh, I'm cool with who I am, healthy at any size, which is psychotic, or I can stop anytime I want to. It's okay to have a drink with the boys. None of these things are okay. They are not okay. I don't accept that, but I accept myself as I am now because I'm walking in line with my conscience. Mm, absolutely. And it reminds me of um, a phrase that I came up with years ago, and it's all about nourishment, not punishment. Because, you know, we are either our greatest advocate or our greatest enemy. Um, and it just depends what side of the fence you're on, you know? <laughs> That is so accurate. Seneca wrote that we suffer far more in imagination than reality. Mm. And that real and if the reality is constructed by the group at large, right, then what is constructing our imagination? That's ourselves. We are absolutely our own harshest critic, our own greatest ally, our own greatest enemy. Nobody made me eat a quarter ounce of mushrooms, blow a bunch of lines, and go to the club looking for someone's girlfriend or wife to hook up with. No one made me do that. And then nobody made me the next day have the worst anxiety attack. I would be, Bindi, I would be bedridden, stricken, stricken in bed with anxiety and panic attack. What did you do last night? And then it would be, you are so hungover and messed up. You know, you have all these things to do today. And then I wouldn't do the things. So I had destroyed myself last night and I couldn't do the responsible man things today. Is it any wonder that I hated myself? Mm. I didn't have social media. Like th this is, I love Human connection is fabulous. It's what I live for. I did not have social media. Now social media is a massive part of who I am. I post every day. It's how I find almost all of my clients. Some I met in, in the physical firmament in New York just because 
my other projects I'm involved in, I do come in contact with a lot of people and they knew me before, but I was so ashamed of myself. I was so afraid of, of being judged and caring what other people thought. And this bizarre neurotic obsession about how other people would perceive me as if I need to give a damn about how other, like the worst thing was how I perceived myself. Yet I cared so much more outwardly about how other people perceive me. And I didn't really care about how I perceived myself at all. I didn't perceive myself well, but I put no focus on how I could perceive myself better. It was only about how other people would perceive could perceive me. So yeah, it just, that's how we accept ourselves by bringing ourselves to a place of acceptance, self-acceptance. Now, John, if someone's listening to this and, and they're hearing about your journey and your story and, and they're going, this dude is speaking my story. Um, and if they're struggling right now and they're having trouble with, you know, their, their nutrition or, you know, substance abuse, whatever it might be, um, or even if mentally they're in a place where I just can't do it anymore, what advice would you have for them right now? No state is permanent except for the state of death. And that is the state I was placed in your life to stop you from entering. No matter what you are going through, someone has gotten through it or worse. There have been billions of people that have perished before you. And some of them were dealing with what you dealt with and did not choose to hurt themselves. They did not choose to drown themselves in temporary pleasure. They did not choose to take the quick way out. They chose life and you can as well. I had all the problems. I resented my family for the burden. They, they, I was so resentful of everyone. I even cursed my own genetic composition. I cursed people in my past. I cursed all of my exes. It was everybody else's fault. I was a non-believer. I believed in nothing other than my own pain. And I believed my own pain to be the worst pain ever known. I was totally self-centered. I was totally lost. I was using all the same things you are, and it is possible to escape. In fact, if you have a substance abuse problem, if you have an obsessive thought problem, if you have any of these issues, it actually posits you as a better candidate for healing. The most committed people I know are addicts of some type. And the most pe- the be- most positive people are obsessive people. They're just a typical obsessed person is going to be obsessed with negativity. I was a negativity addict. I was obsessed with it. So once I learned a mindset reframe and this program that I work and live every day, I just took all the negative stuff I was doing and turned it to positive. I took all of the resentments and turned it to understanding that these people went through pain. Any pain that you experience from other people is an externalization of pain that they internalized. No unhurt person is going to lash out at you. No non-judged person is going to judge you unfairly. What you are feeling, what you are going through, the pain that other people have gifted you is an externalization of their pain. Your parents were not there for you because their parents were not there for them. Does that mean you shouldn't be there for you? Does that mean you shouldn't be there for your kids and your people? Absolutely not. Change starts with you. Change starts with us. And change starts with you getting in touch with me because I have walked that path. I know how dark it can get. And I want to ensure that you don't come as close as I did to making the wrong choice. Guys, if you can't see John, he is fired up. (laughs) Um, And he's the guy you want on your side if you want to try and turn things around, obviously. Um, He's managed to do it for himself. He's living proof of it. Now, John, did I read that you also uh, are doing some stuff around food rescue? A hundred percent. It's something I've always been interested in. I've been rescuing food since 2009. My first service industry job uh, in New Orleans, I would take trays of bread to homeless encampments under under the overpass in New Orleans where I was living. 
And I've always found it extremely unjust for us to waste food while people are hungry. But my capacity to rescue food was limited by my capacity to essentially rescue myself. So all my food projects and food rescue projects, and there have been a lot since 09, have been good. But until I really got my own mind and body in check, I couldn't really take it to the next level. And over the last couple of years, I have. I and some comrades set up a food rescue network in New York City, picking up at its peak a couple dozen locations every day, and we're feeding about 7,000 families per week. This is all food that was edible but unsaleable. This is not dumpster diving. This is perfectly good food. Let's say a loaf of bread has an expiration date, which is laughable, of Monday. The store needs to pull it off the shelves by Friday for capitalist reasons, and thus it isn't even past its sell-by date. It just can't be sold. It's unsaleable. So the network I set up would rescue that and, and everything else. And it's been it has been a massive lesson on this path because my capacity to rescue food has marched in lockstep with my capacity to love myself. Back when I didn't really love myself, I could only do it to a certain degree. And as that love grew, my love for others grows. And there's nothing more loving than rescuing stuff that would hit the dumpster and hit the landfill and giving it to people who are going hungry. There are over a million New Yorkers that went hungry last year. This is absurd. There are 8 million people in the city. 1.1 million went hungry last year. At the same time, in the U.S., this country throws out one-third of all food grown. So this is this is a massive issue. This is a fundamental issue of ecology, of psychology. I believe a massive problem that we have with our bodies and our food is related to the way it's treated. We have all-you-can-eat buffets, and mm. we're wasting a third of the food. It's total mind-body-spirit sickness. It's no wonder our Mother Earth hates us. Wouldn't you, mm. if you gave a group of people all they needed to live and they threw out a third of it and turned the other two thirds into mainly a garbage stream, it's horribly disrespectful. And I appreciate you asking about the food rescue project because it's a massive part of who I am and what I do. And, you know, it's it's funny. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of um, health experts as well, uh, particularly around nutrition. And, you know, the US in particular is probably one of the fattest starving nations we know uh because and and you know and you've you've said it right there is that it's the mindset around the resources because you know you look at other countries like say India or even in Indonesia and certain places where they actually honor their food they honor and they treat it with respect you know um and you know western society we just are such a instant throwaway society we don't take any you know respect when it comes to the food like there's there's so many levels we could go into we could do a whole podcast just on this alone um but it's just sign me up <laughs> like it's just something that we're just, again we're robots about you know like we we don't we're just not aware and conscious of what we're putting in our bodies and what we're spending our money on and then how we're then dealing with waste. It's absurd. And the most absurd thing is what people will spend their money on with food and what they won't spend their money on. Mm. Supporting farmers in the contemporary discourse is considered a bourgeois luxury to go to the farmer's market and to buy your food directly at, at a real wage from farmers. The, the way the market is set up, it is very expensive and not everybody can afford it. But the amount of subsidies given to large agribusiness companies and the large soy and koi corn and soybean growers in this country could easily be shifted. Those subsidies could be shifted to small farmers 
They could be shifted to setting up farmers markets in every city, town, and village in, in the U.S. They could be shifted to creating dollar match programs where every dollar spent actually gets you two dollars. The amount it's about resource distribution. The resources are there. Mm. We were an agrarian economy. Everyone grew their own food. And during wartime in World War II, there was a government mandate that people had to grow victory gardens, and they had you know it, it's only in times of war that we actually treat the earth as it should be. In times of peace, we're declaring war on the earth and it's sickening. If supporting your local farmer is too expensive, then we have a serious problem because what we're doing is essentially poisoning ourselves at the expense of the small local farmers. Well, I can't afford that. Okay, well, what, what can you afford and why? Why is it set up that only rich people can shop at farmer's markets? It's all intentional. If, if there is an intentional thing to pump as much so food, a lot of food these days is not actually considered food. If you read The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan, he goes into this. A lot of it cannot be labeled food. It has to be labeled food product. And in being labeled food product, you can then infuse it with as many corn and soybean derivatives as possible. And in doing so, it increases the amount of corn and soybeans grown, and it decreases the nutritive value of all the garbage that is pumped into our, our bloodstreams. I mean, it is sickening. I will not eat their garbage. I won't. I mean, I did for a long time. Dude, that dude in the before photo, he mm. loved to eat that garbage. He was at the trot. All you can eat sushi, sign me up, buffet, breakfast, breakfast, lunch, dinner, find me a brunch, probably boozing. Like that dude was lost. And at the same time, I was into local food and I was doing a little bit of food rescue. Like that's cognitive dissonance. That's another thing that, that our system does so well. It allows us to believe two contradictory thoughts at the same time. You have ads for Lexapro and then you have ads for alcohol. So they're both okay, even though they do the same thing. Like I would I would engage in these dissonant behaviors, such as saying I liked to support local and saying I like to engage in food rescue. And I did, but then I would go and do a bunch of other negative behaviors that limited my capacity to the positive ones. And I wondered why I woke up extremely depressed. Mental illness comes from the tension between what we do and what we think. As soon as we resolve that temp tension and we think that, hey, I actually would like to be with one person for the rest of my life, like, you know, I've been genetically hardwired to do forever. And then we line that up with, hey, I'm not going to chase meaningless hookups and engaging and getting as close to another person as I can and treating them like the food that I waste every day oh, wow, I'm not depressed and anxious anymore. I don't hate my body anymore. I'm not using other people's bodies anymore. It's crazy how that works. Yeah, oh, man. It's just, uh, it blows my mind how everything is flipped, you know, like um, how, like you were saying, it's so expensive just to support a farmer. Like when I, gr I grew up in um, uh, rural farming communities um, here in southeast Queensland, and as a teenager, I worked on farms. I, w I would be working on potato harvesters and, and packing carrots and all kinds of things. And those farms are now gone. Like 30 years later, they are gone. Um, this is ridiculous. Like these were thriving communities that were doing well. Now those people, they're gone. All of what they worked for is gone. Yeah, from what I understand, and obviously understand a million times more than I do, but from my, my limited understanding, Australia has one of the worst problems, the worst problems ecological problems, food problems, and yeah, the small farms dying out. I'm sure there's a growing amount of food that's being imported, which is shocking considering mm. if small growers were empowered, Australia has enough arid land, there is enough land to 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 grow, but it's it's it boggles the mind. And I care less about it 
from a rescue perspective than I do from a self-destructive perspective. People are not going to stop self-destructing until they stop wasting food. People are not going to stop self-destructing until they start eating intentionally. When I think more than 50% or about 50% of Americans are either overweight or obese, I think it might be more than 50%. We have a serious issue. Mm. Like that is a serious issue. People want to, people love to talk about fat shaming and body shaming. I will tell you all exactly what fat shaming is. Fat shaming is what I felt when I was fat. When I was fat and I looked in the mirror, I felt extremely ashamed, not only because of the way I looked, because what it takes in order to look, to feel ashamed, you have to take shameful actions. That's where shame comes from. We're not naturally ashamed of something we shouldn't be ashamed of. We're ashamed from doing shameful stuff. Mm. You are ashamed of stuff that brings you shame. So that's what fat shame is. Fat shame is what I felt. Body shame is what I felt. Nobody did that to me. I did all that to myself. And the lie these days that these things come from external sources is so false. It is so false. There is nothing healthy about being a certain size. It is literally a death sentence. It is not possible to be healthy at any size. These are extremely toxic. This language is extremely toxic and it's becoming normalized. I've said this before. There's a difference between normal and normalized. What has been normalized is not normal. It is extremely abnormal. I was extremely abnormal in the fact that I was clinically obese, depressed, and anxious. Now it's been normalized. Everyone I know is one, two, or three of them. And I guarantee you, every person watching this knows someone or most are most people in the world, unless they have actively worked to heal themselves of this, which is what I do every day. And, and don't get me wrong. Healing is a process. It's not mm. a product. Mm. You're not just healed. If I were to sleep in tomorrow and not work out and not eat right, I would feel awful. So let's get that straight. But the reason people are so messed up is because these activities have been normalized. On the New York City subway, there are ads for the most degenerate stuff, stuff that is soul-destroying, stuff that made me nihilistic, hookup apps, various things related to sex and hooking up, massive amounts of food things. These are vices. These are addictions. They're extremely profitable, and they drive us towards self-destruction. So that's what fat shaming is. It's being ashamed of being fat. It's nothing else. And anyone that says otherwise either has been in shape their whole life or has never been not fat. Mm. It's only the person that has been both that is qualified to speak on these types of things. Mm. There's a lot to unpack there too. But, you know, I want to go back to something you were talking about before. And that was, um, you know, like when we get back to, you know, I like to compare ourselves to cavemen. And it's something I love to do in a whole type of different situations in society. And, And this is a perfect one. And you were mentioning it before. So, you know, let's say, you know, Back in the evolution, cavemen didn't have these issues that we have today. They didn't have the drugs. They didn't have the processed food. They didn't have alcohol. Um, and and they basically were living a life of survival. Um, compare it to today, I always like to look put a lens on it that if the cavemen of yesterday could see us today, they would just be absolutely boggled by what we've done to ourselves. It's shocking. All of our problems are environmental. Mm. In the pre in the pre-modern era, one spent their time in action. You were occupied all day every day. You had to gather, you had to forage, you had to hunt. Hey, if you were extremely creative, you best believe you were writing music. If you were good in the kitchen, best believe that you were cooking. Back in the day, I would have been in the garden gardening 
which is what I'm good at. And I would have been doing something creative because I'm a creative individual. So I would have been doing that all day. Now, since we've been robbed of a lot of the best things, we have to find meaning in something. Uh, one, one of the defining features of our system of society of what you and I are expected to do is to have a serious lack of meaning. So when you have, when everything has been deracinated and de denatured, you find meaning anywhere you can. So I'll find meaning in this escape. I'll find meaning in this thing. Back in the day, caveman or otherwise, you were engaged in activity. It was a struggle to survive. That's where animal sacrifice came from. Mm. Animal sacrifice came from, I have this thing I need to survive. I'm going to sacrifice this thing, this food sacrifice that I need to survive. So I get blessings. Like th that's how real it was. That's why they killed an animal. They needed that thing. They didn't know if they were going to survive the winter or not. So no, we're going to give this to creator and hope that we're duly blessed in return. We don't have any of that. A mm. hundred feet from, from where I sit now, there are probably three weed dispensaries, 10 restaurants and five bodegas for me to destroy my life in. All of them are going to destroy it. And not, not all restaurants are inherently negative, but the manner in which they're presented to us as this cornucopia of food is totally false. We, Our ancestors, the, the cavemen, let's say, for lack of a better word, pre-modern, actually like cavemen, our ancestors, they didn't have all the access to, to what we have. And what they did have access to, they were extremely grateful for. We don't have the gratitude, but we do have the access. And it's horrible. We just need, people need a positive structure, a mission, a plan, a process to adhere to. And- Thankfully, I found this system and this process, or else I'd be lost in the netherworld doing mm. God knows what. Uh, man, I could I could talk to you all day, John. There's a million things we could go through here and um, like, yeah, so many rabbit holes I could go down. But look, I, I know that so many people could get great value by chatting to you. So if people want to get in touch with you and find out more, where can they go? At NYC Foodways on Instagram. You can find me there. Most of my clients get in touch with me there. I post every day. There's lots of mindset tips, hacks. The vast majority, I encourage everyone to visit my page to absorb as much of the info as possible. I break down what I do every day in my stories. My reels and posts are more mindset-based. And please take as much information, gain as much value, absorb as much wisdom as possible from that. If you're interested in, in a more tailored approach, someone to break down your macros, your macronutrient structure, your nutrition plan, someone to provide you with a lot of custom stuff, workout routines, you're more than welcome to reach out to me, hop on the team. And I have two coaching programs. I have a one-on-one -on -one where you learn everything I know about mindset, fitness, nutrition, training, how to drop resentments against your family, how to love yourself, and then a group program where you learn the same thing in a group setting. Um, but I, there's so much content that I'm putting out. I need you all to change. Whether or not you join me on this journey in a closer economic sense or not, I need the message of positivity and change to be spread. I'd be lying. I would be lying to the world if I didn't share how to heal the deepest wounds known to our species. Anxiety, depression, obesity, resentments are the four deepest wounds our species know. Mm -hmm. And if I had the tools to heal those and didn't share them far and wide, I would be the most selfish man in existence. So please visit the page, check out what I do every day, and you will learn very quickly how to elevate yourself out of the pit. And John, I know there was a reason you and I found each other because we're on the exact same mission. <laughs> um, and so with that, I have my last final question for you. What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to light? Men need to become responsible. That is the biggest thing. I see too many men 
from my past, present, and hopefully not my future that have abdicated their responsibility. They have sided with themselves and their own base pleasure and what society would tell them is okay instead of signing with their conscience and what their people need from them. And that's what I want to, to see. I want to see most of the people I coach are men. And as a man, I'm more comfortable speaking on men. I'm not super interested in speaking on, on other folks. I want to see others acknowledge the pain that they have caused people in their lives by being weak. As soon as you acknowledge the fact that you were weak and potentially are weak and are willing to change, we will create strong, responsible individuals to help guide others towards a more positive future by first guiding ourselves. That's the change I want to see in the world. Oh, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. And uh, I, I have loved every second with you, John. Thank you so much for being a part of the ethical evolution. You are so welcome. I'll see you for round two. Where we talked only food rescue. Oh, I think we're going to be back with more. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of Her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.